Welcome back, everybody, to Missed Apex Formula E podcast. We are charged up and ready to go. Welcome back, everybody. We are coming to you from our solar-powered podcasting sheds this time with the permission of our fluffier halves. Yes, I'm talking about our cats because unlike Spanners, I have absolutely no self-control and will be talking about our cute little cuddly buddies as much as possible. Formula E is on an off week. There is no race, no doubleheader, absolutely nothing except the entertainment we can provide ourselves. One of the things that I honestly love the most about Formula E is that despite the fact that we are not a large fandom comparatively to other series, we are incredibly dedicated and strong. And if you ever want some good entertainment Formula E-wise, might I recommend the Bird app? There are some very good, very dedicated fans on there, and they will provide you with endless amounts of not just resources, but also entertainment. Are you on that side of Twitter, Chris? I imagine you are. Oh, yeah, I'm all over the Twitters and all the X's, whatever it's we're supposed to be calling it now. It's not tweets anymore. It's just boring old posts. But no, I, I, I'm I, very active on on there and leaning into the TikTok side of things more. I know that's your more your realm. Yes, but that is not what we're here to talk about today. Today, you're getting nothing but Chris's. Christina Lee Mace is me still. And Chris Stevens yeah. as well, still also Chris Stevens. Absolutely, all up, all up in this Formula E business. Oh, uh, and we actually have some pretty interesting things to talk about this week. Lucas Degrassi put out a full column with a whole bunch of really fun topics for us to dig into. One of the paragraphs nice. I have it, I have it pulled up that I'm the most excited about is that he was talking about how. The cars are going to be shorter, wider, and heavier for Gen 4, which are coming in in 2026, 2027. And one of the things we love about Formula E is that the cars are small, so they can fit on narrow tracks, but also that they're so agile. And the part that concerns me is when we say they're getting wider and heavier, because what does that mean for our on-track action? How... How is that going to affect where we can race and the tracks we can go to? What kind of performance shift are we going to see there? Well, the thing is, so I know we're only in the second year of of Gen 3. And we're already talking about uh, Gen 4. There's been a lot of news with the suppliers being announced and the sort of general outline of what Gen 4 is going to be. And of course, we have Gen 3 Beta coming next year as well, which is more of a sort of slight performance increase. And I think what they wanted Gen 3 to be originally but it had to be sort of scaled back um a little bit so gen 3 beta is going to be a 50 kilowatt power increase to 400 kilowatts in total and the activation of the front powertrains as well so four-wheel drive effectively right but gen 4 is going to be probably the biggest leap in performance that formerly has ever seen where we got to a full 600 kilowatts of power which equates to around 800 brake horsepower uh, and uh, still with the four-wheel drive uh, as well, and for the first time, different aero kits as well. So at the moment, you have just the standard chassis, that's it, but they're going to have a low downforce package and a high downforce package uh, as well. So whether that means we'll see teams go in different direction on certain circuits, like how 
you know, at Monza in Formula One, some teams might decide to add a little bit of downforce and go for that qualifying performance, whereas other teams might decide to trim the wings a little bit and and make their gains on the straights. Uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. For me, that's a fascinating element that is gonna come, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it because it will it will be, I think, uh, the the biggest challenge that formerly is posed to the top end single seaters that are you know internal combustion powered you know 800 brake horsepower the only difference will be the amount of downforce this car has which we don't really know how much it's going to have just yet you know when we talk about high and low downforce packages is it going to be broadly similar to what we have now or is it going to be an actual amount of downforce of course the reason that these cars don't have a lot of downforce is to improve the raceability so what what direction is formally going for? Are they going for the show? Are they going for performance? Are they trying to tackle actual lap times now so, so that we can see that EVs can provide that same amount of speed as, uh, as say, you know, a, a Formula 3 car, for example? I think that's going to be their benchmark uh, target because at the moment they're about, they're all about five or six seconds off of FIA F3 at Monaco. Bearing in mind they're on es- essentially road tires and no downforce on those cars um, at all, pretty much. For reference, how much faster are they aiming to get? Like time-wise, yes, but do we know if they have an aim of how, f- what top speeds we could be getting with the increase of power? Oh, the top speed. I mean, the the Gen three car is already capable of doing two hundred miles an hour. The issue is we never go anywhere that showcases that. Uh, and also, I think the problem is if we did actually get these cars up to two hundred miles an hour, it would just drain the battery so quickly. So I think we we need the next generation of battery technology to come in so that we can actually use that performance. Because at the moment, it's all about what the car is capable of, but we never get to see it. And I think that then means changing up the kind of circuits that they race on as well. We've already seen a shift from pure city center tracks like we used to have in Paris and Hong Kong and the old London track to going towards existing venues and turning them into racetracks like the London XL, like what we had in uh, uh, South Korea with the old Olympic Stadium uh, as well, and, uh, and and towards permanent facilities as well. You know, we've had Mexico City on the calendar for a number of years. We're going to have Shanghai, Mizano uh, this year Portland. as well. Portland. Portland as well. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. We got to see really fast speeds there. That was incredibly satisfying my friends and i we were sitting on the start finish straight which is right before the first turn so you get to actually see them at their top speeds in those moments mm. it the, was blinking you miss it at times like yeah it was very 180, fast really fun to see an hour down down that mm-hmm. straight so yeah serious performance so the problem is that yeah they don't really get to show it uh all that often so i i think yeah we're gonna start seeing a, a shift pretty pretty quickly i think the the key thing though is they're still going to be on these sort of road relevant tires and i think it's been said that if if formerly went to even like a semi-slick you know just some sort of race ready tire they'd be five seconds a lap uh quicker than what they are now um the difference is they well a they want it to be road relevant and b it's um for you know the the, the raceability they, they want to take away that grip as much as possible to improve the show to me, all this talk about the performance of Gen 4 makes me think that they're going in a different direction now. Mm-hmm. Well, they're also changing tire manufacturers for this next time around. We're switching yeah. away from Hankook, where I've heard mostly negative feedback. Yeah, Very unhappy drivers with those tires. And yes, we've only had one year on them, and we have yet to see really 
them race on a whole variety of circuits. But the overall feedback was just that they're so incredibly slippery and provide very little grip. And so going back to Bridgestone now, which they haven't done tires for Formula E, but of course they're a big name in motorsports. They do know what they're doing. They've provided for Formula One before and other series. So there's, I'm imagining that hope that those tires will provide that performance that the drivers are itching for. Well, it's it's complicated, isn't it? I mean, Bridgestone, you're right, is one of the best tire manufacturers in the world. I'd, you know, right up there with Michelin in terms of getting that absolute quality. The problem that Hankook and and formerly in general has has faced is that the the Michelin's it was a great uh, tire for what formerly needed. The issue is when we ended up with situations like we had in uh, New York a few years ago, where very late into the race we had uh, quite a sudden downpour. And the problem they had was that there was so little tread left on the tires that even a small amount of rain was causing them to aquaplane. And so what they wanted was a, a tire that would hold up if we got that same situation again. You know, last 10 minutes of the race where those tires are going to be in their worst you know, condition uh, and, and we, we get a sudden downpour and the tires should be able to hold up. The difference, though, with Gen 4 is there will be a what they're going to call a typhoon tire. So you're going to have like the road one that's still got tread, but it's going to be like a dedicated wet tire, but like a an extreme wet tire by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. If they're calling it Typhoon, then yeah. I imagine, yes, very, exactly. very heavy duty. But, and to my mind as well, the big challenge that they're also bringing in now is by not only going to purely street tracks, by also going to some permanent circuits, they're introducing a wider range of surface types because- the kind of asphalt that you use at a permanent track is obviously a different grade than what you use on a standard street circuit. So yeah. they're just opening themselves up to needing more of a range of performance, correct? Well, actually, I think it's going to go in the opposite direction because you would see three or four different types of surfaces on a pure street track, you know, depending on where you're at. And also the quality of that asphalt could be shocking i mean i remember in paris where there's you've got manhole covers you've got potholes you've got well, not so much potholes but like you know proper bumpy surfaces they're just regular rubbish street roads you know that feel awful going down there in your ford mondeo right so in a stiffly sprung racing car it feels absolutely awful whereas the the beauty with the permanent facilities is you tend to get the same kind of asphalt everywhere if they resurface it it tends to be in patches but with similar types of asphalt or they'll redo the entire uh, circuit. Uh, and, you know, it, the irony of, was when, when Formula E went to Monaco, that was actually the best surface they ever raced on because it was up to Formula One standards. Very good point. Yeah. I love watching them race in Monaco. Yeah. Like, just seeing the difference that a properly sized car for that environment has. Mm. And you got, what, 118 overtakes, I think it was. Uh, it was up there. Yes. It was. I only know it off the top of my head because I'm pretty sure I saw a graphic talking about it like today or yesterday. All right. I'm not, I don't have that just in there. It's a recent thing. You just downloaded it from the Matrix. Absolutely. There's great nuggets of information in here, not just it. movie quotes from the same three movies. <laughs> uh, Christina's eyes just started <laughs> fluttering and it was like, <laughs> oh, great times. But speaking of good street circus, circuits 
circuses. Circuit, circuit. What's the difference? I know the, the one you're about to talk about Degra- is circus, in fairness. <laughs> right. Degrassi brings up the fact that he wants the cars to be able to perform in Macau, which yes. isn't a street track that Formula E currently goes to, but it is chaos each and mm-hmm. every time Formula E goes, not Formula E, Formula 3 goes there. You can find highlight reels of just nothing but absolute chaos on that track. It is intense. It is the ultimate street circuit. And if anybody hasn't watched a race there, go look up and see what you can find because those are fantastic races. Yeah. I mean, the the ultimate one for me, a moment I will never forget is Dan Tictum's first Macau Grand Prix win which was when Habsburg and Seta Camera were uh, squabbling for the win on the last lap and both crashed at the last corner, allowing Tictum to come through and win from uh, from third. And it's, yeah, Macau, you're right, it is the ultimate street circuit. Forget Monaco, right? Macau is probably the hardest street track in the world, maybe even the hardest circuit in the world. Say, I don't know, maybe the, the Isle of Man TT, for example, right? The fact that Formula E hasn't raced there, I can understand it, but I have want. I've been saying for years, Formula E needs to at some point go to Macau. It's it's the ultimate street circuit challenge, and it fits perfectly with Formula E's kind of bill, right? So they need to go there with a level of performance, though, right? Because there are big, fast, high speed sections of that track. I mean, the the entire first sector is basically one massive. Uh, straight with two very high-speed corners in the middle of it, which are basically just lifts in a single-seater, right? Or even in the GT3 cars that that race there. It's so fast, and that will drain the batteries so fast. So they need to go there with a level of performance. And I think Gen 4 is going to be the time to add it uh, to there. If we're going to go and it doesn't happen in Gen 4, then it's unlikely to happen at all, unfortunately. So if it doesn't happen in Gen 4, then it it really needs to. And I think it would be it would be a perfect way to to get you know Formula E onto a, a bigger stage as well, racing alongside with the Formula Three cars on the same weekend, you'll get that performance comparison as well, which I think Formula E is looking towards doing now. Now that the technology is there and the speed in the cars looks like it's going to be there, that would be a, a perfect way to start the season as well because they they start the season in November, and we see Formula E has shifted. They used to start like in October and then it was November and now it's January. Right, but if they if they go back to that sort of November date, then they can still take advantage of the the, the winter period, that quieter period where there's less racing on, and they can be the sort of premium, you know, winter series where they're going to uh, the locations where it's still suitable to race in the, in that time. And Macau is one of them. Mm-hmm. Overall, one of my biggest pet peeves about Formula E, or maybe not a pet peeve, but hope and dream. <laughs> is that they have support series soon. And you saying, oh, what if they raced with Formula 3? That brings me like excitement and joy. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I really love a full day of just going to Formula E, free practice, qualifying the race. It's fun. But those sessions are also 40 minutes to an hour. So you're left with a lot of dead space. And I know at one point they had a support series and then they were aiming to have another junior electric series that they were going to launch again. But that I haven't heard anything about that for the last year. If they're not going to have their own support series that are electric, mm-hmm. I would love for them to partner with others. So we all remember the glory days of the Jaguar I-Pace E-Trophy. Um, what a 
absolute pinnacle series that was uh, to to watch. Uh, I hope the sarcasm is coming across uh, <laughs> on air there. But um, I hate to burst your bubble uh, before it's properly inflated, but I have a sneaking suspicion if they did go to Macau, they'd do it a week before the Grand Prix weekend. And by Grand Prix weekend, we don't mean like Formula One Grand Prix. That's just the name of the the F3 um, event, the Macau Grand Prix, uh, where they have the F3s, the GT3s, the touring cars and everything. In the same way that they do Monaco, like two weeks before uh, the, the F1 Grand Prix weekend especially because otherwise they'd have to rip up the entire schedule of the macau grand prix weekend to fit to have formally do its one day event thing definitely can cry a little bit crushed hopes and dreams <laughs> sorry oh uh, well if it's not that series maybe another one could come in and slot because the more action you have on track the more satisfying the weekend is it just that's what people are there to see so give them more and more and more of that Kind of a no-brainer in my books. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the the fan stuff at a lot of the races that they have is really good, but you're right, there's no substitute for actual on-track action. Okay. Final thing from the Degrassi column is that he mentions there being lighter, qualifying-only batteries for Gen 4. Not for Gen 4, sorry. Just as a future thing. A lighter battery, so they can go faster just for qualifying. How feasible do we think that is? Because I imagine then they would want to swap out those batteries during practice sessions in order to get data on both separate setups. Yeah. That that sounds like a lot of innovation and work to get that ready to go as a hope and dream. Yeah. So um, by the way, this is a column on Autosport. Um, if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. I think Lucas actually has a regular um, slot. And the beautiful thing about Lucas is that he is, he's not just a racing driver. He's a visionary, an entrepreneur, and a politician, like all wrapped into one. Um, I would I would love to just get inside the mind of Lucas Degrassi and like understand a lot of his thought processes. Um, Lucas has a lot of great ideas. I don't think this is one of them. Because imagine you go to you go to uh, you know an ICE race event and they're swapping out the engines for for a specific high powered small lighter qualifying engine. I don't think it's a great advertisement uh, for formerly or EV technology, and not to mention the implications of cost in all of that. Uh, like the manufacturing, but for the teams as well. And then just, yeah, the logistics of it, like you mentioned, they're not going to be able to swap that out in the middle of a practice session. So what, you're going to have an entire practice session dedicated to just qualifying? They, they barely do that. And you got to think that how many laps you'd end up running at like a high-powered uh, mode as well, which is going to knock seven bells out of the battery. So yeah, I just, I don't think that is a feasible solution for the future. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of having something different that you can do in qualifying to add to that top speed. Formula One, they always run them on the soft tires as opposed to the others. But again, it, yeah. like you were saying, there are sensible things to do to get that interesting performance. And then there are impractical ones, which this one definitely seems to be a bit more of. Well, we already have like the qualifying mode, essentially which is the full 350 kilowatts of power that they currently produce because they race at 300 unless they're in attack mode. Then they go back up to 350, right? 
um they don't really showcase that as much now like they used to have like the led lights that would go magenta when they were at full power now the led lights are just on all the time and it was actually mildly confusing for the first few races um but yeah i i feel like there could be a bit more spectacle to the qualifying really show off the speed of of the cars but again performance up until this point hasn't really been the biggest priority it's been about advancing the technology and increasing performance yes but never at the cost of the show Mm -hmm. completely agree with you especially on the lights thing degrassi also mentions that he wants there to be more taillights more headlights and lights just bring me joy i enjoy seeing them change (laughs) colors i enjoy when they flash i think they put them on the car i would love to see them do a light show have you have you ever seen like a boat dance where they all do the choreographed little turns and spins and stuff like that? No. What? So this oh. is coming from so I don't like I know I live in London but I don't live near the water. And you know, for what is a very big river, there aren't actually, you know, too many boaty boats. It's all like transport boats and and HMS Belfast. So in Vancouver, we have these little boat buses. They're super, super tiny, like very mini tugboats. And they will frequently, in Falls Creek, which is actually the area where the Vancouver E-Prix was suggested, that I'm totally over having been canceled. I'm not bitter about it. I haven't taken it personally that that hasn't been revived. I'm totally chill about this topic. But in that little area, they will actually do synchronized little performances of moving all of these boats together. And I think it might be a little gimmicky, but how funky would it be for the Formula E cars with all of their lights on to do a little showcase of just them moving in funny little sequences because they have fun lights. Make it happen, Formula E. Run with it. Full permissions given. (laughs) Full speed ahead. Oh, Speaking of full speed ahead, and since we're talking about, you know, Gen 4 cars and what may be to come, another thing that we get to all look forward to is a manufacturer's championship. It is in the works and not even just a conceived notion that may or may not come to light. It is actually in the process of its regulations being written, all of the things being ironed out. It has support from the teams and the manufacturers, which The fact that Formula E hasn't been doing this from the beginning is quite interesting to me. I understand they had so many things to organize, but with so much of their series being around tech, innovation, pushing boundaries, they're essentially almost marketing themselves as a constructors, but not constructors, electrical version of Formula One. So why would you not be having a championship that rewards that innovation that highlights it it seems like such a missed opportunity i'm glad they're getting to it i think it's unfortunate that it's taken a decade but at least it's coming and my big hope would be that it isn't just okay let's award these people that yes got the most points but also that it opens up the doors for formula e to have more manufactured parts and allow the teams to have even more creativity when it comes to the designs of these cars so I'll tell you why it hasn't happened up until now. Because up until last year, there were nine manufacturers out of 11 teams. So there wasn't really going to be much difference between having a constructors slash manufacturers championship and a team's 
championship when we only had like two customer teams, right? So the fact that we're now in a, a model which is a lot more manufacturer and customer base, where almost every manufacturer on the grid has a customer team. ERT is the only one that doesn't have a customer team, right? Uh, so now it makes sense to have that because you've got a flurry of customer teams now who can score points for their manufacturer, right? And whether they call it manufacturers or constructors, it doesn't really matter. It's the same thing, basically, right? But you're right, it does have support from the manufacturers because think about last year, uh, a customer team won the driver's championship and a customer team won the team's championship as well, right? So they didn't really get to break. Yes, it was their car, but they were beaten by their customer team. But let's say if we had a manufacturer's championship last year, Jaguar would have been the ones to win it. And they could get to you know use that in all of their branding and their marketing, which is the ultimate reason for being in motorsports, basically. So yes, I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea to have it, an extra layer of competition, another thing to think about uh, as well. And you know whether they do it in a sort of MotoGP style where it's, you know, the top one uh, car of each manufacturer scores the points for for the manufacturer, or they do like the top two. When you know what, it doesn't really matter. I think in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, the fact that it's being talked about and is so yeah in development and talks are being had about adding it to the championship next year is is a really good sign. And it's yeah, it's another thing to think about. The other thing you know about it is we Formula E had a problem when it had nine manufacturers right which is a really great thing in the short term but manufacturers don't pour money into a world championship to finish ninth right and the problem is someone's got to finish ninth and some manufacturers I'm not going to name any names have an attitude where if they don't win the title in the first two years they're just going to pull the program uh and that is what ended up happening with the, the, the mass exodus of Mercedes, BMW, and Audi, because they were pouring all this money in. And yeah, okay, yes, Mercedes, they won, you know, most of the years they were in it. But yeah, manufacturers put putting the money in to finish, yeah, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever. Um, that is going to be considered a waste of resources by the higher ups and the execs. Um, so they need to balance it out a little bit between the having the number of manufacturers that it's that it's you know good and competitive and we have a good number of cars on the grid but not so many that we end up in that sort of cycle again well this was an absolutely fantastic conversation on what we can look forward to in the future of formula e and on a much closer note next week we have diria and it's the first of many double headers so a reminder you're going to be watching a race on friday and saturday and having qualifying sessions on friday and saturday who do we think are gonna come out swinging this time well last year it was uh you know pascal verlein's world and we were just living in it he won both those races he didn't just win both those races he absolutely dominated uh those races uh despite not qualifying all that well actually i think we touched on it in our mexico city review where you know, qualifying wasn't Porsche's great strength, but they seem to have come out the blocks swinging and have survived this traction control investigation from Mexico City that I'm sure that's not going to be the last we will hear of it. So keep an eye out for that uh, during Diria. But um, yeah, the, the continuation of the, uh, the, the the Porsche 
Jaguar battle, uh, including their customer teams as well. Obviously, Jake Dennis is going to want to uh, recover, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of pride lost, I think, in in Mexico City, where you know that one mistake in qualifying kind of undid his his whole race weekend. The good news with Diria is that you can really race there. We've seen some epic battles there in the past, and some of the most memorable Formula E uh, moments since it joined the calendar in season five. So. Uh, I know Mexico wasn't, you know, a race for the ages. It's not one we're going to be talking about in five years' time. But if you're willing to give Formula a second chance, this would be the weekend to do it. Especially because it's a doubleheader. There's nothing quite like the motivation that sparks yeah. in these drivers from having a bad day one to then come out absolutely swinging for day two. So head to the Formula E website where to watch. Remind yourself where you can. If you want to watch a race from Diria from last year or from any previous season where we went there, they do have their full races for all past seasons up on their website as well. We will be back next week with a post-race episode again. So look forward to that. From Chris and Chris, thank you for joining us. This has been Miss Apex Formula E Podcast.